Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Novogratz, and this is Next with Novo. All right, let's get, let's get started. I really appreciate you coming on Next with Novo. Uh, it's my own little podcast. Uh, hopefully one day it's not a little podcast, but a big podcast. I hope so. But we hit the crypto community pretty hard. We got a criminal justice following and uh, and then random random other connections that I have in my life. I kind of try to integrate it all. Cool. You're from Pittsburgh. Yep. That's wrestling country. Uh, you were okay. a- yeah, it is actually. You know, that's the only place where like Lock Haven and Slippery Rock and, you know, California PA are, are big time schools. Yeah, no, no doubt. You know, Edinburgh. Were you a, a shady side guy or? No, actually, I was born in Squirrel Hill, so close to Shady Side. Um, but then I went from Squirrel Hill to the South Hills to um, to Scott um, Birdland, and then I moved to Mount Lebanon. Gotcha, Mount Lebanon, home of Sam Bowie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're probably the same age, or pretty close. Close enough. Yeah. So you went to Pitt. I went. I dropped out of high school. Um, so when I was a junior, I wanted to take a business class. Um, at Mount Lebanon and they wouldn't let me and because it was only for seniors. So I said, okay, I, I want to show you, you know, that I can take on a challenge. So at night, my junior year, I took a couple classes, I think psychology and writing and in a Russian class, which I dropped because it was way over my head. And then um, my senior year, rather than going back to, to high school for my senior year, I went to Pitt for a year, transferred my credits from there back to my high school so I could graduate. But because Pitt didn't have an undergraduate business school, then I uh, transferred to Indiana University. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. My my uncle was a Panther uh, football player way back. But all right. And so then you became like an Internet sensation young. I mean, young, right? I guess that was probably 10 years into your career. Yeah, for the Internet. So like my first company, I got fired from a software job. I was teaching myself to write software and um, it was a company called Micro Solutions. And I just stumbled into the idea of trying to focus on local area networks in the early 80s when nobody really knew what a local area network was, which took me to wide area networking. I sold that company, um, which ended up being one of the top systems integrators in the country and then took some time off. And then in you know mid 90s, early 95, when the Internet started to happen, one of my buddies, Todd Wagner, was like, look, there's got to be a way we can do sports and listen to Indiana basketball down here in Dallas. And you're the networking guy. Let, 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 let's figure it out. And um, that's how we started AudioNet, which turned into Broadcast.com, because basically streaming is all networking. Right. And you sold that to Yahoo in one of the great, the great sales of the, uh, the Internet bubble, really. Yeah, the best part wasn't the sale, it was the hedge, because I sold in Yahoo stock. And so we, fortunately, Todd and I hedged our stock, collared it, actually, and that's what protected us. Right. No, very few people made it out uh, alive, let alone uh, with a full kitty. Uh, yeah, and so right? c- congratulations. That's a, Thank you. And it set you up for a, a pretty fascinating life post, uh, post-99 crash or 2000 crash. Let me ask you a question real quick, because you know sure. we have crypt- crypto, and I know you're engaged. The instincts that got you to to say, you know, it's time to take chips off the table in '99. Do any of those hairs on your arms stand up now when you see, you know, Bitcoin at fifty-eight thousand and all these level ones jumping up and NFTs showing up? And or do you think we're much earlier in the game? Much earlier in the game. It's the exact opposite. Actually, it reminds me more of 1995 when things were going crazy. 
Um, but it was obvious that there was a transition back then from analog to digital. And now it's a transition from digital to distributed and decentralized and secure. And to me, you know, the way people looked at networking, whether it was streaming protocols or JavaScript as a platform to, to transition businesses to a digitally based businesses business, we're seeing that same opportunity with um, smart contracts. And so just like back then, there was a gold rush to try to figure out what was going to win. You know, there were multiple streaming protocols. There were unlimited number of websites. And it was really technology-based until it became more comfortable. We're seeing the same thing now. We're seeing a rush where there's a lot of different blockchains that are competing. There are L2s, you know, that are trying to do their thing. But like then, it's going to come down to applications and implications and integrations so that, you know, when companies start to put smart contracts to work, that's when we'll start to see things really level out. I don't think all the, the L1s are going to survive. I don't think, you know, when I say not survive, the better term is probably not thrive. Not thrive. Right. right. They'll, they'll survive because there's no reason for them not to, but they won't be in the conversation any longer. Um, just like you saw, you know, search engines. Anybody can create a search engine, and lots of people did. And some took the early lead. Others, you know, showed better ways. And here we are. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. So when I started investing in crypto, I had this philosophy that you better put a lot of chips on the table because, you know, you, you still could be holding ass Jeeves. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a spray and pray mentality because it's a gold rush. And you don't really know... The analogous thing to me is that, you know, there's no real standards. People are trying to use um, Solidity as a standard for, for development on top of change, right? And there's coming up with compatibles, but not everybody's going that direction with what's it called, Plutus or Plutus or whatever. And then there's, um, you know, Flow has got theirs. ICP has got theirs. Everybody's got something that mimics C++ or um, Solidity or JavaScript in, in various ways. But it's not feasible for somebody to develop in each of them across all the chains. And it's not feasible for applications to be duplicated like that across the chains. And so there's going to be a, a day of reckoning for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And so how and where it remains to be seen. But I, I really think it comes down to the application. And I, th I think the red flag right now is that everybody's trying to replicate um, what's happening on one chain on the other chain. So they're getting, you know, they go DeFi first and they value their DeFi based off of, you know, value locked. And, you know, because the marginal cost of a token on a chain is nothing, right? And, you know, or for a DeFi protocol is nothing. So they, you know, they, they search for liquidity to try to, to build some transactions and to build some volume. But I don't see, you know, even with the best of bridging, how all that's going to be sustainable. I'd be curious what you think. No, I, I listen, I'm, I'm the same way. I've I've had this philosophy that utility is going to win in the long run, and so what, network effect. And so I look at what ecosystems are bringing the most developers in, are getting the most users in, have the most energy, if you want to think about it, and thinking those have the best shot. And as long as my KPIs are growing at an accelerating rate, right? We're we're getting more users at an accelerating rate. We're getting that. I want to be pretty long. Uh, yep. And so you saw what happened to Solana this year or Luna, you know, partly charismatic leaders did that, partly bringing in partners did that. Guys like you can be, can help be kingmakers in 
credentializing some of these ecosystems. No uh, but there's but but there's no way we're going to have ni 19 giant blockchains trying to do the same thing. Nope. It's hard to separate the signal from the noise. It really is right now. But it goes back to just what you say, and I couldn't agree more. It comes down to utility. You know, when people create these applications, you know, who's using them and how? And we have yet to see the, the gold rush, if you will, for business applications. You know, there's, you know, an NFT as a collectible is great and it's fun and it's entertaining, but that's just a proof of concept. You know, smart contracts with or without NFTs for insurance applications, for medical applications, yeah. for textbooks, for any number of things that you can think of. Those are the holy grails. Because just like you saw fintech dent how um, financial applications were um, were um, created, you're going to see the same thing in smart contracts. Yeah, no, I keep telling everybody their healthcare records will be an NFT one day. They're going to live on a smart con they're going to live on a blockchain. You're going to show up at a hospital. It, it, you know, life will be that. That'll probably be the hardest nut to crack because of all the freaking regulation and HIPAA and yeah, everything else. And plus, just your claims and insurance are going to be done on are going to be approved on a decentralized basis, on a trustless decentralized basis, where you know anybody who buys into to create a node gets trained and they put up a little money or whatever, and or you know um, a license, whatever it may be, and rather than. Um, a centralized insurance company making the decisions on what's paid and what's not, it'll be decentralized and trustless and people will appreciate it a lot more and it'll work faster and smoother. So step back for a second. Let me talk a little bit about more, more about you or ask about more about you. You are a sports owner and a very engaged one. Uh, that's been a huge journey. You're a TV star, a celebrity. That's gotta be fun or maybe it was fun. It <laughs> You're an investor. Uh, in lots of projects at an entrepreneur, right? So you almost wear four completely different, I'm sure you've got family and everything else, right? But but in the public radio, you got four different hats. How do you manage that? The same way you do, right? You know, the TV show, Doing Shark Tank, I love it. Friday nights on ABC, 8 p.m. Eastern. We just had our premiere episode this past Friday. So we'll be on every Friday, so watch often. And, you know, with that, it's fun. And I do it because, you know, I think, we need to send the message that the American dream is alive and well. And, and it really does. I, I can't tell you how often parents and their kids even will, will email me or stop me and say, Hey, you know, I watched shark tank and that got me excited about being an entrepreneur or starting a business while I'm in middle school or high school or, you know, college, whatever it may be. And, and so that, that part is really rewarding. Helping the entrepreneurs that come on is incredibly rewarding. And so that's kind of a, a pet thing that I like to do, just investing in as many entrepreneurs as I think I can support. And I've got a great staff that does a better job than me now. Um, the Mavs basketball is kind of my, my release, you know, and, and so I've loved basketball as long as I can remember. So that's a release. And everything else is kind of tech-driven where – to me, I just love to learn. I'm curious as hell, right? And that curiosity just keeps me moving forward and keeps me consuming information and research and whatever and trying to teach myself new things, which allows me to be an investor and takes me in all those different directions, which gets me to crypto, tech, whatever it may be. Right, and so you made a shack load of money, like literally in 2000. Like Novo uh, money? You're talking about Novo money? <laughs> Big money. And now you've even made more. And so... At what point, you know, and I, I, I've seen you've done a decent, a decent amount of philanthropy. How do you think about 
what society's responsibility, what your responsibility is, or any rich guy's responsibility, and at what age do you give it away? How do you how do you think about your philanthropic contribution? Well, it starts with family first. I mean, my kids are young, 12, 15, and 18, relatively speaking. And so you kind of want to hold some back just in case something happens there, right? And you need to, to move in the action, and God forbid it ever does. And then part two to that, you know, I'm, I'm not a big believer in just giving a lot of money to big charities just to make myself feel better. You know, I, I'd rather start things that I think are self-sustaining that are charitable in impact. You know, we started a company called costplusdrugs.com, and all we're doing is going out there and finding to start with generic drugs, and we're building a manufacturing plant for injectable drugs in Dallas right now. And everything that we'll do that we that we manufacture or resell will be a cost plus 15% with complete transparency on everything that we do. And we always think we have a line of sight for over a billion dollars in sales because of how messed up the pharmaceutical industry is and how self-serving it is. And so, you know, trying to take, create organizations like that, and it's a public benefit company, and I think we can have a significant impact on healthcare. There's other drugs I'm investing in creating that I think can have a significant impact. And I'm not looking to make money off of either of those. I'm looking for them to be self-sustaining so that no one has to go out there and ask for donations but they have a significant impact and can disrupt an industry where that needs to be disrupted. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I know the the the, uh, the charitable model of constantly asking just gets it gets tiring. <laughs> yeah, it can't work, right? I mean, there's got to be a way for things to be self-sustaining. I don't care if you're selling advertising, you know. And it's interesting because the play-to-earn model of crypto potentially has a chance to be a model for charity. You know, because you can find ways to allow people to participate, to not necessarily become self-supportive, but where you can create a whole ecosystem and economy that brings in third-party revenue because there's so many participants, right, that you can sell advertising, you can sell a lot of things that in turn goes to support the people who are participating to earn. So, you know, when I think about your your path, in some ways you're, have always been in the middle of the creator economy, right? If you think about your first, your big internet play and, and right. even the Mavs and, and Shark Tank and some of the investments you have now, how do you see, you know, we have this metaverse showing up and it's accelerating and it's kind of complexity every day. How do you see the creative economy playing out and how are you betting on it? Oh my God, that's a great question. Um, that truly is a spray and pray because metaverses are pretty much zero sum, right? It's very difficult to have a lot of them. And what also happens is they end up, they traditionally have been dominated by a few people who become, you know, the maxis of that metaverse. And, and so it, it, it kind of become put they, that pushes people out. So, you know, where you look at what's prominent right now, you can talk about Axie infinity but the rest are kind of trying to find their way, right? They've had, you know, their ups and downs and, and maybe are not fully self-sustaining. And then you look at Axie Infinity and they're trying, they've, they've grown enough where they become their own ecosystem and economy, but they're subsidized. And so it's really hard to know what percentage of people are playing to earn because of sponsors and what percent are 
there to stay because they really enjoy being part of that that game and expanding into a metaverse. Then you got the central land, and you know you can have conversations about the pluses and minuses of each of these, but they have to reach a point where the economy is self-sustaining and not dependent on the next entrant, because you're not always going to see speculation can't drive the success right, right. of the metaverse. The, the Ponzi always ends at one point, and if it's not sustainable, it, it, it collapses. Yeah, I call it musical chairs, right? The music has to stop. And if right. people aren't playing and contributing because they want to be there and it's all purely speculation and the sponsorship drives up, what supports it? Now, like Axie Infinity, if you subsidize your way to enough players and they want to come back all the time anyways, then it's like any city, real city, physical city, where you can sell advertising sponsorships, you know, have a content creator economy where they sell NFTs and share it with the community, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't reach that critical scale, you're shit out of luck. Interesting. So do you make your own crypto bets or do you have a team of, you know, crypto maniacs that work for you? Like, are, are you just engaged enough that you're like, you know what, buy me more Bitcoin or, you know, sell my Ethereum or. In terms of trading, I don't trade a lot. I mean, I, I do my own homework in terms of what new things am I looking at? But I have a, I do have one guy who's kind of my crypto guru, guru who will review the smart contracts for me and make sure, you know, I don't get rug pulled again. And by the way, let me just say on the record, people thought I got rug pulled and tightened for millions of dollars. <laughs> I got, I lost a couple hundred thousand. It would have been more, but I made a lot on the, the LP that I was in there. So yeah, it wasn't as, you know, it's a lot of money, but relatively speaking, it wasn't a crushing event. Right. But yeah, so I have I have one person who reviews contracts, Micah, who's super smart, helps me evaluate things, does basic due diligence and advanced due diligence for me. And then from there, it's up to me. Interesting. So so Mark Cuban Inc. is a team of people around you that you've known for how long? It just varies. In some cases, most of my life, <laughs> you know, in other cases, it's, you know, as new technologies emerge and I want some expertise there. But I try to teach myself as much as I can, you know. You know, I'll go to the extent of doing three-layered neural networks so I understand, reading research papers on machine learning so I understand, because there, we will see an integration of AI and cryptocurrencies as well. You know, I'll read as much as I can on crypto to understand the economics and the technology and, you know, what's the difference between, and you know, what is the opportunity with ICP versus what any of the other blockchains are doing, because they're very distinguished or different um, platforms, you know? And so in order, to, I, I look at it kind of like a ball of thread. That that first little ring of thread is always hard and, you know, it's hard to put together and mushy. But once you get a base, it's really easy to progressively understand what's coming. I'm sure, you know, you've experienced the same thing. So once you get rolling on it, it it's contagious and it's fun. And then you start, you know, Steve Jobs said, everything's a remix, right? Then you start remixing all these things and you start understanding, you know, where some of these things can go. Were you always a nerdy kid? You know, because, I mean, you know, a lot of people get old, they get what, rich, they want to golf or they want to you know, make a few investments. But like digging into, you know, reading, reading about blockchains and understanding them and like that, that takes a, a nerd energy. <laughs> yeah. Like when you were in third and fourth grade, were you the great student? And no, no, not at all. I wasn't like the math geek or anything. I mean, I liked math and I did well in it. Right. But I was into sports. I just wasn't good enough. And so, <laughs> you know, neither one of my parents went to college. And so it wasn't like I had this, you know, academic push. It was more business. You know, my, my whole thing was 
from my dad particularly was if you want something, you got to earn it. And if you're going to earn it, most likely for you, you're going to have to learn how to sell it. And to me, I was, I was a business geek. You know, like I said, I wanted to take business classes my senior year. They wouldn't let me. So I, I dropped out of college, dropped out of high school. Right. Oh, just dumb shit like that or different shit like that. I started, I started businesses my entire life. But when I got after college is really when I, I realized I had an aptitude for technology. I got a job working at a computer software store. I started teaching myself how to write in database languages and basic C and JavaScript and all that stuff. And it wasn't hard for me. And, you know, once you get into it, I, I was one of those guys that I could sit there and start writing some software for it. And my clients think I was working for three or four hours and look up, it was 20 hours later, you know, and, and I didn't even realize it. And so once I, I realized I had that aptitude and then I got the curiosity, then I realized it was a key, you know, it helped me make more money. And then as I got older, it wasn't so much about um, how much more money I could make. It was more about the competitive side of me, the sports side of me is, you know, when I was, when I was the youngest, it was fun to be competitive because I was the youngest. Now that I'm the oldest, it's like, I want to kick the ass of all these young, young people who think, okay, <laughs> I don't know my shit. Well, fuck you. I do know my shit and I'm going to let you have it. And so you know, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I, I always call myself the oldest guy in crypto, but now I'm doing the math. I think you're a couple years older than me, so you might be the oldest guy in crypto. Well, fuck you too, Novo. <laughs> I'm, I'm 56. <laughs> well, I got you by a few years, but I'll lie about it. You look good. You look good. What do you need to stay in? What do you stay? I, I guess you got to play hoops with your guys a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, I get out there and shoot. One of the best parts about owning a team is like before a game, a home game, I go out there on, on our court in the arena and I'll start shooting until all the players come out and really get there, get ready for the game. And there's nothing better. And that's really how I clear my head. Shooting baskets, that, you know, nothing else matters unless, you know, until that ball goes in the basket. But generally, though, I've really changed my diet. Um, I'm vegetarian now. I write everything down that I eat. Um, I work out, you know, instead of if I'm watching a game or if I'm listening to a podcast or watching a, a video on something, I'll be on the treadmill or the Peloton or a, um, elliptical, just always trying to do something while I'm, I'm consuming information rather than just sitting on my fat ass. Yeah, good for you. you. You got young kids. You got to stay healthy. And that's the other uh, thing, too. Like, I, my 12-year-old my son put me out on the basketball court we have outside last night. He, and he goes, I'm going to kick your ass one-on-one. -on -one. I'm like, come on, let's go. And I torched <laughs> him. Then he was like, I'm going to kick the full court. And then I torched him. And so now I'm sore as hell, though, but I'm not going to tell him that. <laughs> so last one, Dallas, you, your adopted home. Uh, are you a Dallas for life guy at this point? Is this? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I love Pittsburgh still. You can't take Pittsburgh out of me, but I've been here 40 years. My buddies came down here from Indiana after we graduated. I had nowhere else to go. My car, I wanted to go someplace warm and my car would make it to Indiana, wouldn't make it to California. And so here I am. So, you know, when we grew up, you had the Cowboys versus Steelers, some of the great rivalries, Terry Bradshaw, Roger Stallback, you know, I'm guessing at this point you're a Steel, uh, Cowboys fan or? Yeah, I'm, I'm both, right? Fortunately, they're in different conferences. It was tough. We played in the Super Bowl, you know, I don't know 10 years ago, whatever. And um, it was tough. So I had to wear my, my cowboy shirt and have my terrible towel from Pittsburgh. All right. You know, so I had to, I had to cut corners there and balance it out. Well, I actually think there should be a rule. Like you should only be able to root for the town you live in, the town you grew up or the town your father grew up in. Like that's it. Right. Anything else you should be an illegal fan. I, I agree. I can never <laughs> understand like 
uh, I'll run into people from all over the country and they're either Cowboys or Steelers fans. And I'm like, how? <laughs> you know, and when it's, it's like, oh, I like the uniforms. I'm like, what is up? You can't do that. that that's just not, not right. All right. Well, Mark, listen, I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate your, your time on here. I love what you're doing for the crypto community, you know, from accepting Dogecoin at Mavs games to just being uh, to thoughtful moon, about, to the moon. <laughs> you know, you know, I've, I've, I've got a, to the, a Bitcoin goes to the moon tattoo oh, and I've got go. a, and I've got a boat named to the moon. <laughs> Perfect. And a song, and a song named Bitcoin Goes to Moon. And so, hey, I'm behind you, though. I, I, I have my fair share of Bitcoin, but I, I'm more of an Ethereum maxi for the reasons we discussed. Yep, good stuff. All right, well, listen, I appreciate it. Uh, you're Thanks. my favorite guest so far. Next with Novo from Dallas. <laughs> Thanks, Novo. We'll do it again. Be well. Take care.